0: Jesus, but we don't always stop to think about beyond that. we think, well, Jesus is the reason, but we don't necessarily reflect and meditate and think about what that means for Jesus to be the reason for, for why we're celebrating. We know he was the Savior, but what does that mean? Why did he have to come? Why, why, you know, what's the significance of his coming? What was the world that he came into? And, and, uh, and all of those things come into play. Obviously, we can't think about all of those things all the time. But I think it's good for us as the body of Christ to come and to be reminded of who this child was that came into the world and what it is that he came to do. And as I was uh, been praying over the last few weeks about what the Lord would have me preach, he led me to several different texts, and all of them have to do with reminding us of the significance of the identity. Of this baby who came into the world. And so, this morning's message I've entitled Consolation of Israel, which comes to us from the text that we'll be reading here in just a moment, Luke chapter 2, verses 22 through 38. And in this text, this is, this is after Jesus is born. This is not something that we normally um, think about uh, when we think about Christmas, we think about the events leading up to the birth of Christ. But this, what we're going to be reading has to do with the events immediately following the birth of Jesus. That is, in the days following um, his birth, uh, Mary and Joseph take the young baby Jesus to the temple to be dedicated. And it's what happens at this time that I want to draw your attention to this morning. Would you stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's word this morning? Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 22. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons and there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout looking for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all people, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of 84. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, we ask that you would give us a greater appreciation for the birth of your son. We pray that you would focus our attention on the reasons for which he came, and for the wonders which he accomplished. And we might be drawn closer to you That we might love you more and serve you more fully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is in verse 25 of our text this morning that we draw the title from for this message. It tells us that Simeon was looking for the consolation of Israel. What exactly does that mean? What does it mean for this baby who came into the world to be the consolation of Israel? What did it mean to them? What does it mean to us today? It's not only Simeon's declaration, but Anna's response to him that teach us something about this child who has come. We know of the angel's declaration. We know of the shepherds. We know of what Mary and Joseph have already experienced. And now as they come to the temple, there's this man and this woman who greet them, pronouncing praises to God over the coming of this child. And it's it's awesome. it's awesome. Mary and Joseph were amazed at the things that were being said about them. And I what I want for us this Christmas season. I want us to be amazed about what it means for Jesus to have been born into the world. I want us to be amazed at what it is he came to do. And how we can look to him even today. And I want to share with you this morning three truths that are captured from Text you consider Jesus as the consolation of Israel. I want to talk to you about the anticipation of coming Messiah. I want to talk to you about the acknowledgement of Jesus as Messiah. I want to talk to you about the acceptance of Jesus as Messiah. The first thing that jumps out at me in this text was besides the name, the consolation of Israel really the events surrounding it, show us that there was a great anticipation among the Jewish people at this time in history. They were waiting for the coming of their Messiah. They were, they were a people that were living in oppression. They were oppressed by the Roman government. They were looked at with suspicion by the, the uh, society at large. They lived in a world that was primarily and it's worship. People who didn't know worship, the one true God whom they worshiped, and and the people of Israel, the Jewish people, although living in their own land, were even seen as outcasts in their own land because of their desire to worship only one God, because of their looking for the hopes and promises that came from the prophets, and in in, in the midst of all of this oppression and in the midst of 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 a pagan culture that surrounded these People were longing for God's promise to be fulfilled to them. They were looking for their Messiah. They were anticipating His arrival, and much like we, as, as Christians today, you know, when you think about the world they were living in. You know, there, there's an in, increasing oppression. There's uh, <coughs> increasing uh, suspicion. There's increasing opposition. You know, it's really, I mean, we. we say that we're pretty much heading in the same direction if we're not already there as far as the culture in which we live. And we're anticipating not the, the first coming, but the second coming of the Messiah. They were waiting for him to come the first time. We're waiting for him to return. And so there's an anticipation when it comes to, to looking at the world around you and looking at what you're having to deal with day in and day out and week in and week out. And you just, there's a longing in our heart for Christ to come. That's how how these people felt. They were longing for Christ to come, but now their ideas about what he was going to do were probably different than what we understand that he had. And some of those things that they were longing for Christ to do when he came the first time, we know he's going to do when he comes the second time. And so they were looking for these things, and, and they were expecting that this, this, Christ, this Messiah, would come into the world, a savior who had been promised by God, who would be a redeemer for his people, who would fulfill the role of being prophet, priest, and king. Moses says, I will raise up to you a prophet like unto me, and you should obey him. We're told that he is supposed to be a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. We know that he is going to be the son of David, who is born to be the king of kings prophet, priest, and king, this Messiah who comes to the world, they understood that when he came, it meant deliverance for them as a people. It meant that they would be recognized as God's chosen ones and that they would be set free from bondage. Unfortunately, so many of the Jewish people saw all of this in a, in a more of a political sense than in a spiritual sense. They saw it more as of a... a, a uh, a political deliverance rather than a spiritual deliverance. And God says, listen, I see your oppression and I know you're hurting, but what you need more than physical deliverance is spiritual deliverance. Because it's because of sin, because of darkness, because of your depravity, it's because of the, the, the bond and the imprisonment that sin brings on your life, that you need to be set free. Because that is at the heart of all that is wrong. In the world, and so these people—they're—they're looking for this. And as he comes and is born into the world, he's born in this Jesus that comes. He's born amidst a time of great anticipation, and that anticipation is captured in this—in these two people, really, both in Simeon and in Anna. Simeon is said to be a devout man. He's righteous. He comes to the temple just at the right time. And we're not told a whole lot about him. We're not given uh, his family history. We're not given who he was or why he was there other than that he was led by the Spirit. And and the Lord had revealed to him that he would see the Christ before he died. So we have this this guy, Simeon, who's in the temple. and, And he represents for us this anticipation because he had been it had been revealed to him specifically that it was going to come in his lifetime. So he was excited. He was excited. Y'all ever get excited about anything? I think Christmas time is a great time of anticipation, is it not? I mean and we, we anticipate a lot of things When we think about plans that are being made, we think about Christmas parties and family gatherings and gift exchanges. And, you know, we can get excited about those things, those plans. And and we can even have expectations, you know, when it comes to, to receiving gifts and what we think we might get or what we want. And there's an anticipation. Well, that anticipation that we have at Christmas for all of those things pales in comparison to the anticipation of the coming of Christ. Because his coming is so much more significant. Than those minor things, but yet there is a great anticipation for his arrival. And Simeon is—it's captured in his presence here at first. And while Scripture doesn't give us a lot of, about him, I read one commentary. Matthew Henry suggests that this this guy was actually somebody very significant in the, in the area of the time. He says some learned men who have been Conversing with Jewish writers, find that there was at this one time, Simeon, a man of great note in Jerusalem, the son of the and the first to whom they gave the title of Rabban, the highest title that they gave to their doctors, and which has never given but the seven of them, which was never given the seven of them. He succeeded his father law as the president of the college of the father. Condon, and of the great the Jews saw that he was endued with a prophetical spirit and that he was turned out of his place because he witnessed against the common opinion of the Jews concerning the temporal kingdom of the Messiah. That's quite a resume if that's indeed who this guy was. The son of a famous rabbi, the leader of a college, but then ultimately who was turned away because his testimony of who the Messiah was and what He came to do, differed from popular opinion. But you know what? His, who He was, if it was really important for what was being revealed here, it would have been revealed to us in Scripture. I mean, it's good to be able to look at history and to to learn some more things, and it's interesting to be able to look at those things and understand that, but the reality is not who He was, but who He was there to see. That's the awesome thing. His excitement about the coming of Christ his presence in the temple shows us that he was greatly anticipating the arrival of the Messiah as he calls him the consolation of Israel that word consolation it's a word that it means encouragement it means it means to be uh to to be a helper it's the same word that's translated from the Greek as um when John speaks of the Holy or Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit coming as a helper. It's the Greek word paraklesis. Sometimes, if you, if you ever read English commentaries about the Holy Spirit, sometimes he's referred to as the paraclete. It comes from that same Greek word, that same root. It means to be an, an encourager, a helper, someone who comes alongside to, to help out. And, and that's what Jesus came into the world to be. He came to be an encourager. He came to be a helper. He came to be that One who would come alongside us in our sin and relieve us from that burden. And He is, as the consolation, as the helper, we see that that is directly equated to Him being the Lord's Christ. As it says there in verse 26, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. A lot of times when we think about Jesus Christ, uh, we we disassociate, we think about that as being his whole name when really Christ is a title. It, It comes from a Greek word which carries the Hebrew equivalent of Messiah. So Christ and Messiah are interchangeable. It means to be the anointed of the Lord. It means to be, to be chosen for, for a purpose and, a, and appointed to a purpose. And, and His purposes in, through God the Father were to come and to be This deliverer is promised in the prophets to be the seed of the woman as told to us in Genesis 3.15 as God spoke and said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed and he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. As God spoke to Satan of his defeat at the coming of this anointed one, at the coming of this Messiah. The Messiah would be one who would Excuse me the messiah would defeat the one whose deception led to the fall of mankind and the coming of death into the world but he would also be the one not only or the way that he would accomplish that the way he would defeat death the way that he would overcome would be that he would become a substitutionary sacrifice for sin he would take our place as we read in Isaiah 53 all of us like sheep have gone astray each of us has turned to his own way but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. When we think about Jesus' coming and being the consolation of Israel, as we think about Him being the Lord's Christ, the promised Messiah, He came in order that He might stand in our place, that He might take our sin upon Himself, in order that we might be delivered from the bondage of sin. That's what it means for the consolation of Israel. That's what it means for Him to be the Savior. To be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's why we celebrate Christmas. Because His coming into the world was a revelation that God had not forgotten His promises. God had not failed to provide deliverance. And so we see the anticipation of Simeon, the anticipation of Anna as she spent night and day in the temple with fastings and prayers. And at the very moment Jesus comes in and Simeon makes these declarations, she comes in rejoicing and then spreading the word about this child who had been born. The anticipation of the Messiah. But I want to see also the acknowledgement. They were there because they were anticipating, because they understood something of who this child was going to be. But then the declarations that they make, what we see given to us in the text, tell us without a doubt that this Child is the fulfillment of the promises. And even before we get to the declarations that Simeon makes, and even before we get to the actions of Anna, Dr. Luke, as he, as he wrote this Gospel, he's, he's preparing our hearts and our minds to reveal to us something significant about this child who came into the world. And I want to direct your attention back to verses 22-24. through 24. And it says there, it says, when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses. Don't miss that. Everything that Christ did from the time He was born until the time He went to the cross to the time He was raised from the dead. Everything that Jesus did in this world was to fulfill the righteousness of God's law. And so from the very beginning, Luke is telling us, he says, he says they came to purify this child even before Jesus could make a decision on His own. In His purity and innocence as an infant, he was fulfilling the law of Moses. He was fulfilling the righteousness of God. Even before he could do anything on his own, his parents were making sure that all of God's Word was being fulfilled concerning this child. That they would be faithful in carrying out and doing the things that God had commanded them to do for their child, not because He was the Savior. They didn't bring Him there because He was the Savior of the world because of what had been They brought Him there because that's what Jewish parents were supposed to do with their, with their children. They were to bring them to the temple. They were to make a sacrifice for them. And, and that they were to be declared holy unto the Lord as we see in verse 23. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And so they bring them there to make this sacrifice for their purification and to dedicate this young child to God the Father. And And so there, Luke is telling us that this child is special in every way because he, from the very beginning, was fulfilling all righteousness. And then as we get into Simeon's declarations concerning him, first his praises to the Lord and then his revelation to the parents, we see some things revealed here that tell us that he understood the significance of this child who came. He had been anticipating it, his his life, as the Lord had revealed to him, that he would see him in his lifetime. And now, Simeon makes these declarations that say, "Yes, this is the fulfillment of your promise. Yes, this is the one who is to come into the world. And Simeon declares, in beginning in verse 29, he says, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Jesus came To save. And as as this child. He hadn't even done anything yet. He He hadn't been beaten. He hadn't been sacrificed. He hadn't been raised from the dead. He hadn't done anything yet. And Simeon says. My eyes have seen your salvation. He acknowledged that this child. That had come into the world. Was the promised Messiah. That he would fulfill. All that the Lord. Had promised to do through him. And he declares that his eyes have seen the one who was the embodiment of salvation. Jesus is salvation. He is the hope of forgiveness. He is the satisfaction of God's wrath against sin. He is the deliverer from oppression. And all authority has been given to him so that none will ultimately be able to withstand him who was born to be king of kings. No one will be able to stand before him. He is the Lord of lords. He is the Lord's Christ. The Lord's salvation. And he says, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. This is probably one of my favorite parts of this whole text of Scripture. Because in here is revealed to us this significance, not only of who Jesus was, but of what he was going to do. You know, sometimes when we read, you know, you read all the Old Testament and it's all about Israel and it's all about God's plan for Israel and, and what God's doing in Israel and for Israel and with Israel. And even when we look at the things that God speaks about the Messiah, and even in the New Testament, when you look at the Gospels and the things that are revealed to us about the Messiah, it's, it's all focused on Israel, Right? I'm not of Jewish descent, okay? I don't know if you can tell that just by looking at me, but 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 I'm not. And sometimes when we read all this stuff and we read about God's promises to Israel and the fulfillment of Israel, sometimes I think you know we can get kind of of felt like we're left out. But the reality is, is all throughout scripture, there's all these little these little hints that although God had chosen Israel for himself as a special nation to represent his name, his eye was always, and his heart was always on the world. It was, it was never just about Israel. It was all about a testimony of the glory of God the Father to the world. And so when we look and we see that Simeon makes this declaration, and he's referring back to some, some um, uh, prophecies in the book of Isaiah, several places where it talks about the Messiah being the, a light unto the world. And, and, and he says this in, in verse 32. He says, a light of revelation to the Gentiles. That, that's us. That's us. That's Most of us, we're we're Gentiles. We're not of Jewish descent. We're we're not of the commonwealth of Israel. We haven't been entrusted with the promises of God to, to be His representatives until the coming of Christ, in which the gospel goes forth not just to the Jews, to the Jew first, but also to the Gentile. So Jesus came into the world to reveal His salvation to God's people, Israel, but also to the whole world. And so, so this, that's why this verse excites me, because this says, Jesus came for me too. And that's, and that's an awesome reality for us to remember. As we, as we think about the birth of Jesus, we need to remember that He came for us too. He came to be the consolation of Israel, but He also came to be the Savior of the world. And so we can rejoice in that, in that reality. You know, this, this world is, is a dark place, but Jesus came as a light. And you know, what, you know what light does to darkness? It puts it out, right? I mean, where, where, where light is, darkness doesn't exist, right? Everywhere light is, the darkness flees, you know? You, you have light, and you, if you go into a dark room, and you, and you have a light with you, and, and everywhere you shine the light, right, there's no darkness, right? So he's, he's a light of revelation to the Gentiles, okay? So he's a light. That is, he, he's hope in, the, in a dark world. And he's revealing something of God's plan and purpose for us. That is what revelation means. It means to be revealed. The light of God's salvation is being revealed to the entire world, to us as Gentiles. He is our light. He is our hope. His purpose was not just to come for Israel, but to provide hope for all who believe in him. Because in him is revealed the truth of God's holiness, the reality of our accountability, and the rescue from sin's destructive power. He is a light of revelation to the Gentiles. And, the text says, the glory of your people Israel. Israel has a special place in God's plan and purpose. Always has always will. There there is a purpose for Israel even today. And as this Christ came to be a Savior of the world, he also came to be the glory of Israel. Because he did come, when you think about it, Jesus came, when when Jesus walked the earth, what does he say? He says, "I, I came to the lost sheep of Israel, right? I mean, that was his primary target. That was the people who he was addressing. And so, He did that because God's plan for Israel and God's purpose for Israel is primary. But through his coming, it's as if God says, I haven't forgot about you. I've remembered my promises. I know my purposes are being fulfilled. And I want you to know that I I love you. And I want you to understand that I'm here. And so he sends Christ to, to Israel so that they have first opportunity to enjoy the glory of salvation. The glory of salvation to God's people. Even Anna says, she, she spoke of these things to him in, at the end of our text here in verse 38 as she reveals, the, tells this to the people, all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She's focused on her people. She's focused on her people. And as these declarations are made, it says, and I made reference to this already in verse 33, it says that his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. You know what's amazing about verse 33? Okay, Mary and Joseph had both already been talked to by angels. They had already been told that this child was going to be salvation. That they named his, he was to name him Jesus, which means the Lord is salvation. It's from the Hebrew Yeshua or Joshua. And it's, it's just the Lord is salvation. They told him he was going to be the Savior of the world. They, they already had this revealed to them by angels. And they go to the temple, and this guy, just this guy, you know, maybe a, a rabbi there in the temple, comes and says all these things, and it says they were amazed. Well, is he telling them anything they didn't already know? Well, I mean, they, they should have known. They've already been told, right? They've had heavenly messengers come and reveal this, these truths to them that they knew. And yet, they were amazed. I think they were amazed because you know God, God delights to do things that we can't explain. So, while they knew it, they hadn't really told a whole lot of people, right? And here they come into the temple and this guy comes along and, and he's declaring all these things and they're like, how did you know? <laughs> but that's how God works. I mean, He just delights to do the things that we can't explain. He delights to do the things that reveal His omniscience, that reveal His power, that reveal His glory. And so, while they're, while they're amazed at what He said and His praise to God for allowing Him to see Him, and then He turns to Mary and He, and he tells her there in verses 34 and, and uh, 35, it says, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This acknowledgement of who this child was and what he was going to do, it didn't stop with, with, the, with the, the glorious revelation of what he was going to accomplish but also the way in which he was going to do it. And, and this child was going to be one, it says he was responsible for the rise and fall. I think that's this, the rise and fall of those in Israel, it has to do with, with pointing out those who would believe and those who wouldn't. Obviously, those who don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, there, there's a fall coming. There's a fall for everyone who rejects the reality that Jesus is the Messiah. But for those who do believe, there is, they, they rise. And, and it's, in this, it's the same word, The word rise, it's the same word that's translated in other places as resurrection. And and the thing is, as as we believe, as we trust in Christ, we are raised from unbelief to belief. We are raised from death unto life. And one day, ultimately, we will be raised bodily in a glorious resurrection for all eternity. There, there There is a rising that happens to those who believe. We are raised from oppression to adoption. And so, so Simeon points this out. He says, listen, I just want you to understand the significance of all, all that I've just said in blessing the Lord and what I've seen and what's, and what's coming. Listen, he's, he's going to reveal the hearts and intents of the people of Israel. And some are going to fall because they're going to reject him. Because listen, he's, he's going to be an object of opposition. That's what he tells us. He's going to be an object of opposition. He's, he's assigned to be opposed. He's going to be an object of opposition. He says, and listen, that's going to, that opposition... It's going to crush you. Probably not. In all the good news that Mary has received over the last ten months, probably the most difficult thing that she's heard, one of the most difficult things that she's heard is this reality that the opposition that her son's going to face is going to be crushing to her. A fulfillment which we know she experienced as she saw her son tortured, tried, And executed on a Roman cross. But Simeon says, listen, it all has a purpose. It all has a purpose as it reveals the hearts of people. You know, God is concerned about our heart. He's concerned about how we respond to his truths. He knows those that are genuinely anticipating his arrival, his coming, He knew those at the time. He knows those today that are awaiting his return. He knows the level of our acknowledgement to what he accomplished while on earth. Whether or not we simply think that he fulfilled all righteousness and became a substitutionary sacrifice, or whether, do we just acknowledge it or do we accept it? And there is a difference. All the things that have been declared show us that these things were being declared about him. All these things are true. truth, We can acknowledge truth without accepting truth. But there's no salvation apart from accepting the truth. We can can say that we believe it, but until we respond to it, we've not really accepted it. There needs to be an acceptance of these realities. Anticipation means we're excited about His coming. They were anticipating His coming. We're anticipating His return. Acknowledgement means that we recognize that He is the fulfillment of God's promises to send a Redeemer, a sacrifice for sin, a reconciler between man and God. He fulfilled all righteousness. I mean, from the time He was born until the time He died, everything He did. He fulfilled the law of Moses. He he upheld, He obeyed perfectly in order that He might be a sinless sacrifice to stand in our place, to satisfy God's wrath on our behalf. He was a gift unto the world. But it isn't enough just to be excited about a gift. It isn't enough just to know about the gift. The gift isn't any good until you receive it, until you accept it. Brother Walter and I, a few weeks ago, had a great opportunity to uh, lead a gentleman to the Lord. And uh, Walter, you're... Pressing on the, on the issue of acceptance. I just appreciated so much. How you, how you, I don't remember exactly all the phrasing that you used, but the, the pictures that you painted for the, for the need to accept Christ were just, they were magnificent and biblical. You know, when someone comes and, and knocks, knocks at the door, I mean, you can know they're there and you can know who they are, but in, until you invite them in, you haven't really received them. You haven't accepted them. And we can know a whole lot of stuff about Jesus, and we can know what He came to do, and we can know that, that He came to be a Savior of the world, and we can acknowledge that. And, and we can even um, say that we're looking forward to it. But if it hasn't impacted your life, if it hasn't led you to a place of repentance, if it doesn't drive you to a place of obedience, then you've never really accepted it. Why do you think, I mean, Anna, Anna comes on the scene and she's, she's there and she's been devoted and serving, and she, but she goes out and she proclaims to speak of him to all, to all who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. She understood, listen, it wasn't enough just to know. I mean, that's, all, that's our job, right, is to help people know, but it's up to them to accept. We've got to come to the place where we receive Jesus as Messiah as Redeemer, as Savior, as Lord, to accept that He is what God sent Him to be. That when that little baby was born all those years ago, that He came into this world to accomplish something that that we couldn't do. He saw us in our weakness. Listen, Jesus wasn't born because we asked God to send Him. God sent Jesus Because He knew what we needed. He knew we couldn't do it on our own. So He sent Jesus to do what we couldn't do. And it's up to us to accept that. To embrace that and to receive Him. And and this this is what I believe the Lord would have us to remember today. That little baby that was born all that time ago, it's more than, it's up to us to give more than just lip service to the reality that He's the Savior of the world. Because we can say it, but if our life doesn't reflect it, then we're not being effective in for what Christ saved us to be and to do. So I just want to invite you this morning. I want you to ask you to stand with me. And I want to invite you this morning just to bow your head and close your eyes. And I want you to think, just think back on the significance of Christ coming into the world. I want you to think about your own life and where you've been and where you were before you met Christ. I want you to think about how What he's brought you through. And what he's brought you to. And then I want you to think about. What made that possible. It was all the promises of God. Being fulfilled. Through the birth. Life. Death. And resurrection. Of God's only son. And I want you to ask God to help you, because I'm going to ask him to help me. That this Christmas, that we remember the significance of what it means for Jesus to be the consolation of Israel, to be the Lord's Christ, to be our Savior and Lord. Father, we bow before you in humble submission to your perfect will. We thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, sometimes I think we forget how desperate we really are for a Savior. We look around, we know the world's dark, we know it's bad, but sometimes I don't think we realize just how bad it really is. Or how desperately we need you to intervene on our behalf. We know we mess up, but everybody makes mistakes, and we think it's just not that big of a deal until we recognize your holiness and your perfection and the reason why you sent your Son into the world. Lord, help us to embrace these realities, these truths, as we go through this season, Lord, that we can reflect with new joy, with new anticipation. Acknowledging the glories of Jesus who came to be our Savior. And Lord, lead us to accept His will, His purpose, His work for us on our behalf. So that in all things, He might be glorified through us. And we ask it in the precious name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.